Welcome to the Digital Euro Podcast by the Digital Euro Association. In this podcast, you will learn about the disruption of technology in the monetary and financial system. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Digital Euro Podcast, the podcast by the Digital Euro Association. We're a European think tank focusing on digital money and specifically the digital euro. My name is Sarah Palerovich and I'm one of the executive directors of the DIA and today I'm joined by Marcus Treacher. Marcus is a member of the board of directors of RTGS Global and he has over 35 years of experience in driving business growth at HSBC, Citigroup, and Ripple, and he also served as a member of the global board of SWIFT for six years. Currently, Marcus is also a member um, of the board of directors at ClearBank, and as we can see, he has been and still is heavily involved at different companies that all deal with digital banking and payments. It's great to have you, Marcus. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Pleasure. Today, we'll talk about cross-border wholesale settlements, especially for banks and what liquidity efficiencies have to do with them. We'll talk about the different current inefficiencies in liquidity or visibility of banks and whether digital money would have any effect on increasing cross-border wholesale transactions at all. Before we get started, though, I'd like to introduce or let yourself introduce yourself, of course, and then um, touch on the background of RTGS Global. As full disclosure, of course, RTGS Global is supporting member at the DIA. So, Marcus, can you provide us with some more information about RTGS Global? So what does RTGS Global offer for digital banking and payments? Certainly. So the thinking behind RTGS Global is... Wouldn't it be good if we can join up the different currency pools around the world and, in effect, create a global village for money, create the ability to um, you know, move value from dollars to sterling or to, um, I don't know, um, rand or, um, or, or yen immediately without messaging? So RTGS Global, the, um, the whole idea behind the company, the name, is about globalizing RTGS, which is real-time growth settlement. And, you know, you hear RTGS, the term mentioned a lot in terms of domestic clearing. Most countries now have um, a real-time growth settlement system so that money moves immediately within the same country. So... If I'm in London and I'm buying a coffee, um, you know, I wave my Apple phone and um, the crack it's about three pound now. But anyway, the um, the coffee um, cost is moved directly immediately. When I think about it, I get my coffee and um, and life is good. And we were thinking, wouldn't it be really impactful if we can create the same experience for moving value between countries? which is the idea of linking together these flows. So that's what RTGS Global does. So we work with um, banks, we work with financial market infrastructures, clearing um, schemes and, and networks, and we're all about connecting these different islands of money directly together. So you create almost like an internet effect for moving money. Um, and one of the benefits we have with that model is we can also be super good at creating visibility over pools of money, i.e. liquidity around the world. And we will touch on how this is currently done with the messaging that you just mentioned as well, and then uh, go back and see where those 
um, inefficiencies can be removed by um, using um, this type of messaging instead. So then, um, what is your what's your role at RTDS Global? Well, I'm a, what's called an investor director. So I'm on the board of RTDS Global, and I represent the um, the owners um, and um, the investor group in the in the company. Um, I work very closely with the um, uh, the CEO Dave Sissons and team, and you know we work together to um, develop the uh, the network and build the company. Um, we're quite young, um, we're growing very quickly, and you know we've got a lovely opportunity to make a really big impact in the next um, three four years. That's great to hear, and um, as we know. So moving money around the globe doesn't necessarily need to have anything to do with digital money, which is what we at the DIA talk about all day long, basically. So um, if you could just, you know, touch on how that is fitting into the picture at RTGS Global or how it possibly also doesn't. Yes, I think when we talk about, um, you know, digital money, um, cryptocurrencies or all forms of blockchain, it, it's very important to not lose focus on why we have a technology, what the technology is actually doing and what the value is and how you create that value. And, you know, in many cases, new technology, you know, it's, it can be guilty of being a solution looking for a problem. So with the the work that we have done on RTGS Global, we started with the problem and worked back from there. And we actually uh, arrived at a digital solution um, a, um, a DLT mindset solution for that problem. But we feel very good that we started with the problem and to start with, hey, we've got a Bitcoin, what can we use that Bitcoin um, to do? So if we look at the um, the model that we have, have developed, we examined how value moves in the classic, the old world, where you have you know, dead currencies, uh, balances on bank accounts, central banks are linked to uh, commercial banks in one country, balances in another country. And then you have the task of coordinating the movement of that money so that value moves between a, a buyer and a seller cross-border. This is purely about cross-border. So the messaging method, which has been used for a long, long time, um, you know, hundreds of years before even computing and automation was available in the mid 70s. It, 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 it assumes that a bank in one country can't know completely what's going on with a bank in a foreign country. It has to keep messaging. How much have I got in my account? Um, how much do I have free to, to move? Please could I um, buy some dollars off you and sterling um, to sell to you? Where is it settled? Can I make a payment? These messaging back and back and forth um, is the way that banks have communicated with each other and moved money for a very long time. So the problem with that is that with messaging, you're never quite certain that you've got exactly what you need, where you need it, and you're never quite certain that the counterparty is going to follow through with the instruction. You've asked someone to do something, if you ask that question at, um, say, 4 p.m. in your evening in your city, it might be New York somewhere, um, and 
the bank you're asking to do the the payment or to move money, let's say in Japan, a lot can happen overnight where you have no control. And there's a concept called Hirschstadt risk, um, which um, essentially is a risk that because of time zones, even though you're communicating with a bank over you know high-speed networks, there are time periods where a lot can go wrong where you have no have no control. And less dramatically, a lot can move into an account and out of an account. You may get a payment, there might be an invoice, a bill, there might be a failure of a payment. Um, it's not visible. You have to do the, the, the chasing and the, and the check-in to make sure everything's there. And what that does is a couple of things. It creates a lot of risk in the movement of money. Um, and it also creates a world where you've got to put a lot of money into foreign currencies to make sure enough is there to make payments happen. So this is where the liquidity visibility problem comes in because it's not completely clear. Companies, um, corporations and banks hold a lot of money overseas. Um, the estimates vary, but it's, it's safe to say that at least $10 trillion worth of money is just locked up in accounts around the world waiting for payments to happen. Um, and the other problem is with the lack of visibility, banks are less eager or less willing to reach out globally. So over the past 10, 15 years, the amount of banking connectivity into the emerging markets has actually decreased while those emerging markets are growing and demanding better contact and better inclusion to the um, financial system. So the lack of visibility has you know, a lot of impact. You know, it slows things down, um, locks up money, creates waste, creates um, lots of overhead. And also it, it kind of works against what society and humanity is demanding, which is much better inclusion um, um, of emerging market communities into the, um, uh, into the commercial world. So when we looked at that problem, we thought, okay, we can reinvent this flow by changing the messaging or replacing the messaging with, if you like, a conversation between two banks. So the RTGS Global Network connects these banks together so that they're computing using um, API technology, application uh, program interface technology. Essentially, the programs are having a telephone call together. That's what's happening, uh, country A to country B. So then the word messaging becomes obsolete or it doesn't apply anymore in that case. What, what else do you then say? Do you say um, communication between bank APIs or? Yes, communication is a good, a good term. That's a very good point. It's, it's, it's a paradigm shift from messaging to communication in the same way that, um, you know, the conversation we're having is much richer because you and I aren't sending emails to each other. We could have the same podcast over email, we'd exchange like probably, I don't know, 90 emails to each other. There'll be no richness, there'll be no um, engagement, and it'll take a very long time. And that's essentially what we're doing, moving from that messaging model. It's quite a good analogy, really, because even though emails move immediately, if I send you an email, you get it within a microsecond, even you're in Switzerland, I'm in London. So, hey, it's quick. But we couldn't have a conversation um, in, a, in, in a fluid, effective way. And that's what we're doing um, with the RTG's global model. We're moving the 
uh, we're changing the movement of money from being a, an email time thing to being a conversation. And when you do that, then you can do a much better job of knowing exactly what you have where, exactly what you need where, and also executing on that. And if you can make a payment happen immediately, you don't need to track it. If you make a payment happen and you can be absolutely certain it has happened because you're in a direct conversation with the bank that holds the, the foreign um, uh, balance, you haven't got to chase it. You haven't got to get reported. So a lot becomes much, much simpler. And the real uh, jewel in the design that we have created is to take that model into um, the kind of reserve funds that hold um, account hold value um, in a currency in one country and a currency in another country. And we have a concept called lock, lock, block. So basically, if the two computers of the two banks have that conversation and they um, um, they agree to move a, a sum of money, they both lock their balances with the reserve banks and then um, they block the money and then it can move immediately. If you do that, you can be very reliable. You can be very, very comfortable that the funds you're holding to make a payment happen are there. And therefore, you're very comfortable going ahead and making that payment happen. Just to reiterate, I can imagine it as follows, where I do not need to worry about the asynchronous nature of messaging, because whatever is locked, I can be certain of. It's just a matter of a couple of seconds, as I've understood it now, until that lock is then uh, released and uh, I, I receive the payment. I don't have to worry about the liquidity actually moving through, getting through um, the person that owes me money, the bank that owes me money, um, not being uh, liquid. That, that's right. Yes. So the, the actual decision to move, let's say, I don't know, £100 pound, um, into um, $120, that is immediate. So two banks, one in one country, one the one in the other country, over the RTGS global network, that happens in a moment in time, and they do it together. So again, you, you never have that problem of did you did it really happen? It's immediate. Um, the second um, value that we bring, and the second big benefit, is that because we hold um, we, we we hold that money in reserve accounts, that means that once these banks have agreed to move those funds, each bank can be very confident that the money really is there to cover that payment. Because you could have a situation where banks have a you know a conversation with each other over RTGS Global or any immediate network, agree to make a payment happen and the liquidity may not be there. There may be missing dollars. So you need to be able to um, reserve that money, to lock that money so that you can be very confident in the microsecond where you agree to make that payment happen. So again, cross-border, the money never moves cross-border, value does. You know, so you have to move money in one country into a parking lot. Um, you're giving it to the uh, ultimately um, the bank that's making the payment in the other country. And the other country takes money out of that parking lot in a foreign currency and then pays out. So the ability to be really confident that the money has been moved is there combined with the ability to do that immediately, that's where the magic kicks in. 
And if you can do that, you can then also handle cross-border without needing to lock up all those trillions. You can be much more efficient about how much money you're using. You can be um, much more comfortable about dealing around the world. You haven't got that hashtag problem. And also you can be much more um, bold about reaching out into the emerging markets for a payment, which is, again, to me, that's the ultimate um, uh, prize. So liquidity visibility has a different importance in different countries. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. As you move away from um, the developed world, the impact of how things happen today becomes much more acute. And you can look back in time over many innovations and um, often, you know, when you have a technology or a method that gets replaced, what happens is that there's a core of people or companies that actually do quite well and life goes on and they manage around things. There are other groups which really have paid and you find that those groups or those communities are the first to embrace change that then flows back to the, um, you know, the um, less affected group. So in banking, the OECD world, Western Europe, Japan, um, North America, pretty well served with the flows of money. You have the core currencies, the dollar, the euro, the pound, the yen. You know, you have um, very, very smart uh, banking community. They manage through those problems, they manage through. As you get further away from those, um, um, those emerged currency blocks, things become much tougher. So the model we have, as well as being massively impactful in the um, traditional um, developed world for moving and um, and exchanging value, it has a really big impact on building inclusion, building in the emerging world. And if you look at where demographics are moving, um, you know the emerging world is where tomorrow's GDP, um, you know, economic powerhouses, big populations will be. So you know if we want to think about the future, they are the communities we need to be helping designing for so you create a world that works for uh, people in the uh, the mid 21st century and we don't persist in a world that is kind of okay now but becomes even more difficult and um problematic as you know humanity is working to uh to regress I think one such development was seen with COVID-19. So you already touched on emerging um, countries as liquidity visibility having a different importance um, in such countries and trading and doing business with banks in such countries. Is there any way in which you see um, liquidity visibility shaped or or the importance of that communication versus messaging during COVID-19? Yes, I think what's interesting about the whole pandemic experience was how the the payment world, certainly the digital payment world, uh, powered ahead. And I think it really brought home to people that the digital movement of money, you know, blockchain or just basic API connectivity and old money, it, it enables things to tick over in a way that you can't do with cash and check. So in a COVID world, you, you can't fly checks around um, the USA. If you if you were still doing that, you can't uh, handle physical paper in um, 
in parts of the um, um, Southeast Asia. So it, it, it really um, accelerated the adoption of digital methods of payment. So as um, people move into, you know, paying on your phone or, um, you know, paying on, on a card versus cash, that method is much more easier to link into a high-speed global network. As if you're taking the endpoints and you're moving them onto a digital um, footing, which is, you know, ideal for moving money cross-border immediately. So just dig a little bit into that. Um, you know, if the receiver uh, lives in a country which is very cash-centric, even an immediate cross-border payment, let's say remittance for you know, your parents in a, in a you know, um, big Indonesia, for example, or Philippines, even um, an immediate transaction that gets funds into an account in a microsecond of the great value add that we're building with RTGS Global, you've lost it because you've then got to have someone go to a payment kiosk. You've got to get a ticket issued, passport checked, cash given over, risk of fraud, risk of all kinds of problems, risk of loss, theft. You know, that whole value just goes... Um, you know, goes for a toss because you haven't got the the end um, of the chain digitized. So I think COVID-19 really helped accelerate that. Um, and it also helped people get comfortable, as we're doing here, with um, working remotely, trading remotely. And actually, in the UK, as London, London's really bounced back wonderfully from uh, the pandemic, which is great to see. So I'm in London um, most days. It's busy. It's crowded. It's fantastic. And, you know, startups in London have always been international. They're even more so now. And, you know, people get it. Okay, I, I can start a business. I can reach out globally. I can sell online. You know, I can, I can find communities. And I can get paid immediately. And I can pay immediately. And, and my handling of money becomes really efficient. Um, you know, if you're a small company, um, you haven't got a lot of spare working capital. You don't want that degraded by um, you know, difficult banking flows. You don't want to get paid in a week's time. You want to get paid right now for the moment. You want to be able to offer you know, flexible credit so you can sell more. And companies are kind of thinking that way because the networks and the money system that they run over, I think partly through COVID accelerating into that digital world, but also partly through the kind of work that we're doing, it makes that connectivity possible. So that was touching quite a lot on the retail side of things, right? How we as end consumers have changed our our behavior also because of, of the germs that can be transmitted via actual um, cash transfers or checks, as, as you've raised as well. Um, is there any way in which you've seen um, banks or um, wholesale settlements change because of COVID, possibly through the um, demand or adaptation of retail consumers and being more comfortable with it, so more um, settlements moving through networks, or uh, was that not really the case that COVID nineteen changed much when it comes to wholesale settlements? I think I think it did. It did because because it accelerated the shift to um, digital among the consumer world, among the um, um, you know the high street, as they say, or the logical high street. It then um, it prompted central banks and um, you know financial market infrastructures to think harder and more urgently about developing much better networks and much better flows of money. And 
you know, we have the um, um, financial, financial stability board's uh, drive under the G20 to um, really cut down friction across board. If you look at that body of work, um, a lot of it revolves around digital money. A lot of it revolves around exploring um, CBDC, stable coins, interconnecting ledgers together, which is kind of like the sweet spot of our TGS Global. And I think a lot of that um, re-energizing of the push to lift you know, money movement cross-border, that whole drive, I think, link, you can link that back to uh, communities moving on to digital away from cash through COVID, partly because, as you say, cash is uh, physical, it's touching, it's, it's an infection um, 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 driver, which you really want to reduce. But also the fact that I think people are much more comfortable now being remote. And it's not just about not going to work in the morning. It's about working with people that aren't next to you, being comfortable that you're selling and you're marketing, you're trading and you're interacting with people all over the world. And I think those kind of twin effects of COVID, you know, it just puts more pressure on the infrastructure to do something about what we have today and really transform it to the kind of network and the kind of um, experience that, that um, you know, really you want people to have as they are interacting better and uh, more widely. So then what comes to mind is the question, why are um, retail consumers then still using the messaging uh, system? And uh, why don't we have a messaging, a, a communication uh, channel uh, instead? Is that harder to, um, to, to set up in terms of the transaction throughput? Or is there some other explanation for it? Yeah, it's, I think it boils down to inertia. Um, and there's a great parallel, really, with electric cars. So, you know, battery tech is getting to the point where it's very viable. And uh, even if you can sort out mining challenges and rare minerals, um, you know, there's a real kind of groundswell um, in the favour of electric vehicles. But the the legwork required to replumb a country away from you know um, petrol, diesel into networks of electric chargers and um, you know, a network that favors electric vehicles. That's a big deal. And the banking world is quite similar. So everybody internationally ultimately moves money on SWIFT, which is messaging. Um, many countries um, are sitting on clearing networks, which are really quite old and, and need millions and millions of, of dollars to, um, to upgrade. Um, many countries are locked into using, you know, some of the big stable currencies versus um, the new currencies which are um, uh, coming online. It's inertia. So uh, I, I think that the success of companies like RTGS Global is part of that chipping away at that legacy block of how things are done. But I think because of that, I think there will be a tipping point change this is not something that will be a gradual um you know smooth migration from messaging to real time and digital i think um the world or major major economies will reach a tipping point where there'll be a a much greater acceleration towards it might be a stable coin model um it'll certainly be you know the, the kind of cross-border model that we have built largely just global but it'll happen quite quickly. 
And um, my guess would be sometime over the next five, 10 years. On that note, you mentioned crypto right there. Um, could you just briefly explain to me in how far crypto or CBDCs or stable coins even enhance or possibly not um, serve any further purpose for a communication system um, such as RTGS Global has set up? Because right now, if you already say, okay, liquidity visibility can be achieved via this, this type of network, um, then is there any value out there, any upward potential? Yes, it's really about the the last nine yards or the first nine yards in the um, in the flow. So, if the payment is terminating in a a digital currency of some kind, a CBDC, stablecoin, or a free floating um, um, uh, cryptocurrency, then it's landing in an asset class that can be traded and can be um, um, bought and sold immediately. 24 by 7 anywhere in the world. So um, that kind of model, when you add it onto a cross-border interconnectivity, um, it really creates like an internet of money. So there's no stage in the entire flow of value and the holding of value between the buyer, the seller, the sender, the receiver, the investor, the investee. Um, there's no point at which you go into old money in which you know you're down for the night in which you can't quite execute something so what it does is it, it's the last if you like removal of friction from um, holding and um, moving value and that's a big deal that's really important because if we move to a world where value really is friction free then a lot of innovation can happen in how we interact with each other, you know, how we get paid, we get paid by the month. Why does that happen? Well, because you know, years ago, that was the only way that companies could feasibly pay their, their workforce. It's a legacy thing. Um, we do it by habit today. You mentioned, you mentioned COVID-19. A lot of what we did, like going to work and sitting next to each other at our desks, not talking to each other, working all day, and then coming home on a crowded train, it's habit. You know, we societies could have lived and worked from home 20 years ago. Um, so I think I think um, breaking out of those old models, once you have a frictionless way of moving and holding money worldwide, then many, many things that we accept today, because we don't think about, you know, why they're daft, actually could start to be rethought. Um, it's very, very similar to how... You pick up a Samsung or an iPhone or any any um, smartphone, and you scroll around the the myriad of apps on that on that phone, doing everything for you. None of that was possible until the internet was um, commercialized. Um, you know, until it was brought online and uh, and um, you know pushed out in around two thousand. That unlocked a whole universe of. Um, of proposition and services and, uh, and products from the Strava app all the way through to the um, um, the online tube map of London, which people didn't think about beforehand. And I think probably less dramatically, but probably more importantly, um, solving for the movement of money in a similar way and the holding of money in a similar way unlocks you know, a second wave of creativity to create a whole new way of doing things which will make our lives much more 
um, um, trouble-free, um, lower stress and, um, you know, opportunity rich than, than you have today. Never thought about this. Why are we getting paid once a month versus uh, on a daily basis? I'm guessing this will also then have implications such as overwork being paid immediately or being uh, paid more attention to quite literally and paid um, to, for example. Very, very interesting impulse here. Um, that was my, my last question for you for today. At least we hope, of course, to welcome you um, soon again um, on our podcast. How can people reach out to you, Marcus, if they, if they have any questions or want to connect with you? Yes, certainly. Um, find me at um, um, marcus.treacher at rtgsglobal.com. And um, I'm also on LinkedIn and you can follow me on Twitter. Um, and look, I love to engage with folks who are interested. And um, this is really about a community. It's really about, you know, believing there can be better models, better ways of doing things. So, hey, love to chat further. And thank you very much for listening to me um, and chatting to me today. It's been super. Thank you. Thank you, Marcus. I certainly learned a lot. I hope the same is true for everyone in the audience or, or listening. Um, and of course, don't only reach out to Marcus, but also to the DIA via Twitter. Our handle is at DigiEuro, um, LinkedIn as well, our website, um, especially if you're interested in staying up to date with news and discussions around CBDCs and stablecoins worldwide and um, becoming a part of the DIA. Mark has already said it as well. It's all about community. And this is certainly what the DIA is all about as well. Yeah, with that being said, Marcus, thank you very much for sharing your expertise with us today. Um, it was truly a pleasure to have you uh, in this episode. And uh, as I said, I hope we get to see you uh, next time again. Love to. Pleasure's on mine. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Thank you.